Hi, my name is Chandler Clegg, and this is Humanized History, the podcast about adding color and vibrance back in history where it may have been lost. Well, uh, I think I'm on a schedule now. So last week I did an episode on Wednesday, and it is currently Wednesday. So hopefully I keep this up. Um, if not, I'm just going to try to do it at least once a week. But today I am going to be talking about Simone Bolivar, um, very important Latin American figure. Uh, so yeah, let's just, I guess, get right into it. So on July 24th, 1783, Simone Bolivar was born in Caracas to um, a very wealthy and influential family in Venezuela. Um, his father was Colonel Juan Vincent Bolivar y Ponte, and uh, pardon me if I butcher this, but his mother was Concepcion Palacios Blanco, and uh, he had a few siblings, um, and but by the time he was three, uh, his father died, so this is in the year 1786. Um, so his mom made sure he had uh, a very good education. Um, he was raised, you know, to be this very intelligent man, uh, and, you know, that worked out. But uh, unfortunately, his mother died about six years after his father died. So his uncle received the inheritance of his parents. And uh, after this, he was given many more tutors. And one of these tutors was Simone Rodriguez. And he was a disciple of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And he taught him about 18th century liberal thought. Um, he learned about Voltaire as well. And both of these men were inspirations for the French Revolution. Um, so this, you know, definitely sparked some things in his head. He is known as a very influential revolutionary. Uh, but his tutor uh, fled the country when he was suspected of conspiring to overthrow uh, Spain's rule in the colonies. And so after this, he was sent to Spain, uh, and he was there for three years, and he continued his education there. And while he was in Spain uh, in the year 1801, he married Maria Teresa, who was the daughter of a Spanish noblewoman. Uh, and basically, you know, they were married, they went to Venezuela, um, and then in 1803, uh, she died of yellow fever. Um, and he went back to Europe and uh, went to Paris in 1804. So uh, he decided at this point he was going to take up a political career um, and follow the teachings of his former tutor, Simone Rodriguez. So as I said, he went to uh, France, uh, specifically Paris, and started to continue the teachings of Jean Locke and Thomas Hobbes, Voltaire, Montesquieu, and a couple others. And while he was in Spain, I mean, um, pardon me, while he was in France, he heard of a scientist named Alexander von Humboldt. And basically this guy was saying that Latin America is ready for independence. Um, so Alexander von Humboldt was a naturalist, um, and he was in South America for about half a decade. And he spoke of how much he loved South America. And Boulevard, you know, continued to talk about revolution. And uh, Von Humboldt uh, responded to him and said, quote, I believe that your country is ready for its independence, but I cannot see the man who is to achieve it, end quote. And Boulevard continued to think about um, what he had said to him. And he was determined to be the man who would free Latin America. 
and he continued to think more and more. And then after this, he reunited with his tutor, Rodriguez, and he went to Rome uh, on Montesacro, and he declared that he was going to liberate his country. Uh, you know, he was determined, and he said that, you know, while overlooking Montesacro, which is uh, Aventine Hill, and in Roman history, that's like a, a place associated with freedom uh, and fighting oppression. And uh, it was dramatic. Like, he, like, dropped onto his knees and he was like, I'm going to do this. Um, but, yeah, as I said, that was something that he continued to think about for the rest of his life. Um, also, while he was in Paris, he watched the coronation of uh, Napoleon as emperor um, this was in 1804, and uh, overall, he was kind of disgusted how, you know, one man was just like, you know, uh, overturning everything that the French Revolution did for France, but he also kind of looked up to him because he's like, wow, this man was really able to like, you know, start from this and then become emperor, and uh, he respected him in a sense. But in 1807, uh, he returned to Venezuela, and uh, about a year after he returned, the Latin American independence movement began, uh, and this is the time um, around when Napoleon invaded Spain. So Spain is going through a lot of stuff at this point. Um, they were vulnerable, so that kind of uh, allowed this independence movement to begin, and uh the people of Venezuela decided to sever their ties with Spain. In 1810, the Spanish governor was expelled from Venezuela, and uh, a council took over while they began to prepare a new government for Venezuela. So while this is going on, Simón Bolívar traveled to England uh, to gain support for their revolution, uh, but he failed in doing so. But he was able to study while in England, and he learned a lot more. But uh, while he was there, he met with this man named Francisco de Miranda. And he was a man that tried to liberate Venezuela in 1806, but he failed. And Bolivar, you know, met up with him and he's like, come on, you've got to come back. You know, we're doing this again. We're giving it another shot. Uh, I really think you should come back and lead this revolt. Um, well, in 1811, a new Congress joined up to draft a constitution. And uh Simone Bolivar was very vocal about his opinions, even though he wasn't one of these people drafting the Constitution. He's just going around, and he's just, like, filled with joy and, you know, ready for revolution. And, um, and he is quoted saying, Let us lay the cornerstone of American freedom without fear. To hesitate is to perish, end quote. So, uh, on July 5th, 1811, Venezuela's independence was declared. Um, you know, a new army was formed and he joined. Francisco de Miranda was commander-in-chief of this new army. And uh, during this period of time, while a new army was being developed and the Constitution was being put into place, Miranda and Bolivar drifted apart. And uh, he called Bolivar, quote, a dangerous youth, end quote. And uh, one of the fortresses was opened. And Miranda entered negotiations with Spain about a year after independence. Um, and then he was handed over to Spain, and Bolivar and others prevented his escape. And he spent the rest of his days in Spain in some dungeon. Um, so at that point, he's gone. Uh, Bolivar decides to flee to New Granada and published the El Manifesto de Cartagena, 
um, the Cartagena Manifesto, and it's one of his greatest writings. Uh, he said the fall of the Venezuelan uh, Republic was due to a lack of strong government, and he wanted everyone to unify and take Spain's power, and he wanted to take Spain's power in Latin America away. And so he started to gain support in New Granada, and he went back to fight for Venezuelan independence again. Um, so at this point, he is ready to fight uh, for the second time. Uh, and he fought six very, very long battles, and uh, at some point he finally found his way to the Venezuelan capital, uh, Caracas, which is where he's from. And when he got there, they you know, declared him liberator, and he had always thought that the term liberator was uh, the greatest thing you could be called. Um, and this is something he had wanted to be called his almost entire life. And so he assumed political dictatorship, um, but the war was just beginning, and uh, Venezuelans were weary about another war for independence, just considering how the last one went. And then a civil war broke out, and Bolivar apparently uh, grew very cruel and was doing some uh, nasty things, had prisoners shot and other extreme measures. Um, not so nice, but uh, there are people who defend it, there are people who didn't defend it at the time. Um, in the end, uh, he justified it by just saying it's you know something that had to be done. But uh, in 1814, Bolivar, you know, once again is defeated by the Spanish. Uh, so his second revolution uh, fails. And uh, Spain used uh, this form of cowboys led by Jose Tomas Boves. And uh, they, you know, they weren't trained soldiers. But, I mean, they were very, very effective as a cavalry force. But uh, the Second Venezuelan Republic uh, comes to an end, and once again he goes to New Granada, and then he was appointed to take out a separatist faction in Colombia while he was in uh, New Granada. And he succeeded, but he failed when laying siege to Cartagena uh, in Colombia. And so at this point, he once again he flees, he flees to Jamaica this time. And during this time, uh, he once again uh, asks England for help. Uh, and he wrote his best document here, um, La Carta de Jamaica, which is just the letter of Jamaica, or the letter from Jamaica. Um, and he, and in this document, he wrote, quote, The bonds that united us to Spain have been severed, end quote. Um, and he was you know, kind of sick of Spanish rule. Um, there was no hope of going back. But basically, he wanted Latin America to consist of a bunch of republics, and he wanted a government based off of the government of uh, England. Um, he wanted a upper house, an elected lower house, and his most controversial uh, statement by far was he wanted a president for life. Um which he sounds a lot like Alexander Hamilton here, um, you know, based on just the fact of the whole, you know, president for life thing. Um, and that got a lot of people really stirred up. Um, people kind of hated on him for that for his entire political career, basically. Um, but uh, in this, he showed that he was a very significant uh, 
uh, internationalist force. And so by 1815, uh, Spain sent uh, its colonies uh, an expeditionary force. Uh, in fact, it was the strongest force to ever cross the Atlantic. Um, and yeah, since no one else would promise to help, uh, Bolivar went back to Haiti. Uh, and they had recently um, revolted, and they were now free from French rule. Um, and so, you know, everyone loved him there, and so they gave him money and weapons. And uh, so at this point, he's now attempting to liberate New Granada. Uh, and, you know, he was continually defeated for years and years. And by 1817, he gained the help of thousands of British and Irish soldiers uh, and others grouped up with uh, revolutionary forces, and they planned to attack the Viceroyalty of New Granada in 1819. And uh, a lot of military historians consider this to be the most uh, you know, brave attack in military history. It was, uh, it's very reminiscent of Hannibal Barca crossing the Alps. Uh, 2,500 men went through these plains that had flooded, and for several days they marched up to their waists uh, in water, and they crossed about 10 rivers and poorly made boats. Um, they climbed the Andes Mountains. They crossed through the uh, Cordillera at the Pass of Pispa, and the Spanish did not expect this. So they lost quite a few lives on this venture, but in the end, it was worth it. Uh, intense icy winds blew through the pass, and many had died due to frostbite and exposure to the cold. Um, but yeah, as I said, the advantage was most certainly worth it. Um, they had no idea, so the Battle of Boyaca was in 1819, and most of the Spanish army surrendered, uh, and this completely changed everything for them. And at the end of 1819, he made his appearance before Congress, um, the Congress that they had just assembled, and he was made the president and military dictator. Uh, so now it's the Republic of Colombia, and uh, and uh, soon after this, the King of Spain, uh, there's a revolution uh, in Spain, and the King of Spain was forced to recognize that Spain had really no place in controlling South America anymore. And in 1820, a treaty was signed, and it ended all hostilities for around half a year. And once the fighting started back up, he easily took out the Spanish uh, in the Battle of Carabobo, and he finally granted Venezuelan independence, third time's a charm. Um, a constitution for Gran Colombia, or uh, Great Colombia, uh, was created, but Bolivar thought it was too liberal to survive, but, you know, he had to put up with it, so he just returned to fighting his military campaigns, and about a year after that, uh, he liberated Ecuador, and with the help of Antonio Jose de Sucre, they were able to march from the coast of the interior, and they finally took Ecuador, so now it is 1822, um, and in Ecuador, he met the love of his life. Um, her name was Manuela. Um, not a whole lot is known about her, but she was a very passionate revolutionary. Uh, and almost immediately upon meeting him, she admitted her love for him. Uh, he brought her to Peru, and eventually uh, 
they moved into his presidential estate in Colombia, which was already there, but she moved into it with him. Um, so now Gran Colombia was completely taken from the hands of Spain. Uh, the government was recognized by the U.S. Uh, only Peru at this point remained in the hands of Spain. So uh, he continued to work with Jose de San Martin, who basically did what Simone Bolivar did in northern South America. Uh, he just did it in uh, southern South America. Um, so then Martin declared Peru's independence when he reached Lima, uh, but the Spanish army retreated into the mountains, and he wasn't able to follow them. Uh, he knew he wasn't going to be able to have the military expertise to really take them out because uh, it, it was really tricky. You know, they were like holed up in the mountains. Uh, so he asked Bolivar for help. Um, in 1822, they both met in Ecuador. And supposedly, uh, this is kind of strange, but he realized that only Bolivar could achieve this victory. And Martin felt that he, you know, was halting the uh, entire operation. So he resigned and left the country. Um, there are a lot of disagreements about what actually happened here. Um, but, you know, this is just from uh, most sources that he just, you know, was like, yeah, no, you got this. Uh, I can't really do what you can do, so I'm just going to head out. Uh, so Boulevard was now leading the war in Peru. So he arrived in Lima in 1823. Uh, the Spanish occupied the mountains, so he assembled troops, horses, mules, ammunition, and, of course, an army. Um, and after a few decisive victories, the Spanish finally surrendered. Uh, and so now he was the president of Gran Colombia and the dictator of Peru. So this guy's really just, like, wilding out. Like, he is, you know, he's leading, like, all of these operations in South America. He is liberating uh each and every area as much as he can um but there was an area in upper peru that still remained in the hands of royalist opposition uh, but in 1825 uh, soon after they were defeated and this small country was named bolivia and it was named uh after him believe uh, bolivia bolivar you know um so then he drafted a constitution that showed his authoritarian beliefs. He wasn't really able to do this with Grand Columbia as, you know, there was like a whole constitutional convention and an assembly put together. But he just, you know, he was dictator, so he just did what he wanted to do um, because he was very authoritarian. And as I said, this showed in uh, the constitution. So... Uh, the Constitution created a lifetime president, a legislative body consisting of three chambers, and a highly restricted suffrage, um, but it ultimately failed. So at this point, he's at the climax of his political career. Um, his power stretched from the Caribbean to the Argentine-Bolivian border. Um, and around this point, uh, he becomes really sick, but he overcomes his sickness and uh, in 1826, a League of Hispanic-American States uh, was coming to be. Um, and he had always wanted an alliance between the Latin American republics. That's what he had always seen it as. Um, uh, a lot of people saw, uh, you know, South America as they wanted a bunch of republics, but, you know, they're all doing their own thing. He kind of wanted, like, a supercontinent, something kind of like the EU, I guess. Uh, but... Colombia, Peru, Central America, and Mexico sent representatives. Um, 
So the four countries that decided to go uh, signed a treaty of alliance, and they invited all other uh, Latin American countries to join them. Uh, a common army and navy were planned. Uh, you know, they were planned to meet up more often. Um, and only Colombia ratified the treaty. So uh, it didn't really work out. Uh, many thought that Latin America should be comprised of independent states, as I said, but, you know, he wanted something bigger. He wanted them to all be connected. Uh, and he believed that civil war was coming, and, you know, he was right. Two years after, uh, there's a civil war. Uh, Venezuela and New Granada, uh, officials from those countries, began to butt heads, and civil war broke out. Um, Bolivar immediately left Peru, and everyone was... Basically, everyone was ecstatic that he was gone. He had been there for three years, and he was just doing his own thing over there because he had no one to really stop him. Um, so Pies led Venezuela, um, and Santander led New Granada, and Santander wanted Pies punished as a rebel. Um, and Bolivar, as said, he wanted you know the uh, Grand Colombia to stay together and stay unified. He wanted this you know massive like supercontinental power of South America. Uh, just a bunch of republics, and so he tried to rekindle his friendship with Piaz. Uh, he promised a new constitution that would fix all of the problems in Venezuela, and then he declared himself dictator of Gran Colombia soon after this. And then a national convention was scheduled, and he was promised, he's like, you know what, you guys, I'm not going to influence these elections. Y'all just do what y'all want to do. So Santander won with the liberals, and he hoped that the constitution of Cucuta would be revised and presidential authority would be strengthened. But, uh, you know, Santander and the liberals won and they blocked all of these attempts. Um, so a stalemate then began and Bolivar assumed his dictatorial powers. Um, and uh, at this point, um, liberal conspirators uh, invaded his palace uh, and, um, Manuela Sainz saved his life, because uh, they were attempting to assassinate him, of course, um, but soon after this, uh, he grew sick, again, uh, Peru invaded Ecuador, Cordoba, uh, who was a general that Bolivar trusted basically with his life, staged a rebellion, but it was crushed, but it kind of, you know, made him a little sad, this is a guy that he, you know, trusted, uh, you know, a guy that he expected to, uh, you know, of course, not do something like this. Um, so Bolivar was realizing that uh, there was a problem and that uh, he was the problem. So he planned to leave for Europe. And as he left, Sucre was assassinated, who was his successor. Uh, I talked about him a little bit earlier. So uh, immediately he goes back to Grand Colombia and then he falls sick to a fatal case of tuberculosis and dies in 1830. Um, to this day, uh, many still worship him, um, and he is by far, in my opinion and many others' opinions, uh, the most influential uh, Latin American figure. Um, he, is a, he was a revolutionary. He was a great military mind, a great political figure, um, and some of his views were controversial, but if it weren't for him, then things today would be very different. So, uh, yeah, that was the life of Simone Bolivar. Um, I kind of summarized this one a little bit more. I didn't go too into detail 
just because I feel like if I went super into detail, I would have to get into every single little thing. Um, since this is, you know, more modern, of course, than a lot of the ancient history I've done, um, there's a lot more information on him. Um, if you want to learn more about him, there are plenty of good books on him, such as Bolivar, American Liberator. Um, you can also read his writings like Carta de Jamaica. Um, you know, uh, there are a lot of other writings um, that he put out while he was alive, uh, and those can be easily found. But yeah, if you want to learn more information about him, uh, there's uh, the sources, some of the sources I used. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for checking out this episode. Uh, if you would like to hear more about more modern history, let me know. Uh, usually I tend to focus on ancient history, but I had a recommendation for Simone Bolivar, and uh, I had read a book about him, um, that book, Bolivar, American Liberator, a few months ago, and so I thought I might as well do it. I am in a, a class right now um, on Latin American history, so I thought it would be something interesting to delve into something that isn't talked about as much as, you know, European history, you know, you're not going to learn about this in your average, you know, like U.S. history class, of course, but like, you know, usually it's U.S. history and then like European history and you never really get to get into, you know, Asian history or uh, Latin American history or African history. That's why as soon as I got to college, I took an Asian history class and I'm in a Latin American history class. Um, I want to take an African history class soon. Um, just, to just to learn more because really you don't get to experience those things, uh, until you're in college and most people decide not to because, you know, they don't want to get into all that history stuff. You know, they're like done with it. They just want to do what they have to do and then get out. But, uh, I would highly recommend it. Um, it really exposes you to a lot of things that you have never really thought about before. But, um, yeah, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Humanized History um if you want to follow me on social media my instagram is chan chan the history man and my twitter is at chandler clegg c-l-e-g-g um thank you so much and have an amazing morning day or night